All right, take your Bible and turn to the Old Testament book of Genesis. We are in Genesis, and uh, it's part of the daily Bible reading. I believe we've passed this up by now, of course. And uh, Friday we'll start the book of Exodus, but uh, one of the reasons why I love daily Bible reading is because um, nobody can accuse me of doing a sermon on a specific situation. <laughs> I know when I'm sitting out there and I'm listening to a sermon, I get my toes uh, walked on all the time, all the time. I can't listen to a sermon where I don't say, ouch, it affects me. And if you're looking at your own heart, you're going to probably say the same thing. But the neat thing about the daily Bible reading is we're just going through it as it comes. And I always say, if the shoe fits, wear it. But uh, the point is, this stuff is really should be very encouraging. Uh, you're going to be looking at, we're going to be looking at chapter 37 and following. And I have just basically two lessons two lessons that I want to try to uh, express to you today. The one is that our circumstances are not as important as the way we respond to them. Our circumstances are not as important as the way we respond to them. And number two, God knows our circumstances often are intended for evil, but He is willing to bring good out of it for us. What does the Bible say in Romans chapter 8, 28? What does it say? God works all things for good. Let's say it think we know it. God works all things for good to those who love Him and are called according to His presence. Now, I have personally shared this. I don't know if I've ever done it from the pulpit or not, but as a, um, as a scouter uh, who has, had been often asked for years to uh, come up to Camp Conestoga and do... Um, uh, do chapel services for the kids, uh, I like to take a backpack with me and fill the backpack with all kinds of uh, ingredients from, for, um, for baking, for cooking. And I would put the backpack down and open the backpack and pull out a bag of flour and pass it around and tell the kids, hey, grab a handful of that flour and stuff it in your mouth. And, of course, they're all the faces, you know, are going, oh, no, we don't want to do that. And they're passing it around, but I was taking the flour. So I take a dozen eggs out, and I start passing the eggs out, and I say, hey, crack that egg and just slurp that egg a little bit. And uh, nobody's taking me up on it. So far, nobody's taking me up on any of these ingredients. And I say, how about some baking powder? So I pass around the baking powder. I get the same result. And I pass around the baking soda. I get the same result. And then I even take a bag of sugar out, and I say, here, now here's something you'll really enjoy. Pass the sugar around and grab yourself some sugar. And, uh, of course, I know nobody's going to do that either. They just, uh, by now, they're just totally, totally turned off by my, uh, by my suggestions. And then I say to them, I say, you know, life is kind of like this way, by itself, each individual thing that we experience can either be good or bad. A lot of the things that we experience are negative, you see. They're like the baking soda or the baking powder that are distasteful and the flour and the egg. 
All by themselves, we look at those situations and we say, oh, life is really not very good. But you see, the Bible says that God works all things out together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. So if I take all of those ingredients and I put them together, I can end up with something really good. And at that point, I pull out a batch of cookies. Pass them around. They'll, they'll eat the cookies. There's no problem with the cookies, you see. But that's kind of the way life is. Now, before we look at a couple of passages, we're going to actually go through this like you were doing it in daily Bible reading this morning. But the point is that what you already believe is going to determine how you're going to interpret any passage of Scripture. You know that, don't you? You know that if you're an unbeliever and you look at the Bible, you're going to interpret everything as an unbeliever would interpret. And you'll probably end up very skeptical or cynical, cynical about what you read. If you don't believe there's a God and you believe that life is such that it's up to you to do everything on your own strength and your own power, that's how you're going to interpret the Bible. Hopefully in the process things change though as we pray that God by His Holy Spirit changes the way we think. So keep, keep that in mind. Now, turn, turn with me to chapter 37, beginning at verse 1, and I, I really would like to go through this verse by verse today as if you were doing it in a daily Bible reading. Now, at the end of the verse, it says, this is the history of Jacob. This is the history of Jacob. Now, Jacob had a son, 12 of them as a matter of fact, and, and the next to the youngest was Joseph. So here is... Uh, here is the conclusion of Jacob's history, and here's the beginning of Joseph's history. In verse 1, verse 2, Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. Now, if you've never read this passage of Scripture, you, you don't know who Joseph is. You know he's a brother, but you don't know whether he's saved. You don't know whether he's lost. You don't know what his spiritual condition is. Um, so you have to depend upon what you're reading. And the important thing is never to jump to conclusions before you know the facts, the, all of the facts, the, all of the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Amen? Uh, here's a good example of that. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. The Bible doesn't tell me what the report was. The Bible doesn't say if he was tattling or he was sharing something that was important for everybody to know, like, hey, uh, they did something that really needs to be addressed. The Bible doesn't tell us anything. But this passage of Scripture sets us up for understanding how his brothers think about him. Look at verse 3. Now, Israel loved, Israel is the new name that God gave to Jacob, Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors, a coat of many colors. Now, this wasn't just any ordinary coat. One of the advantages of trying to jump into a passage of Scripture and understanding things from the perspective of the people who we are addressing at this point 
way back thousands of years ago, one of the advantages is to understand what life was like. This was not an ordinary coat. Uh, there are examples of this kind of, uh, of uh, clothing back in that day, and I'll tell you what, if you wanted something like that, you had to go to the most expensive uh, clothing store you could think of. What's the most expensive clothing store that you can think of? Nobody's going to them, I guess. That's, a, that's the issue, I guess. But I'll tell you what, I, I, remember, uh, I remember walking down on Fifth Avenue, New York, and passing, uh, passing all of these stores, these expenses. And I'll tell you what, you had to be willing to pay a lot of money for a, a garment that was as nice. And, and, and here's Joseph. Joseph's dad gives him this garment. All the other brothers, we can assume, since it was given to him, are probably looking at this and saying, what a, how does this guy rate? Why is dad willing to give him a coat of many colors? And so we have the reaction from them. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, how many times have you heard that statement? Well, mother loved you best. You were the favorite ones in the fam favorite one in the family, right? How many times I've heard that from people f all my life, all my life, because of the problem of sibling rivalry. Dad always favored you, and I was always the one who got the worst of the deal in everything. Well, you and I know that parents need to be careful. You and I know that. Jacob should have not played favorites with his kids. He obviously is playing favorites with this coat. But the Bible says, here are the brothers. They hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. They were not on speaking terms. These guys could not get along together. These brothers held this bitterness and this animosity and this anger in their hearts. And it, uh, it just... just uh, they just couldn't get over it. And so now, to make matters worse, Joseph had a dream and he told it to his brothers. And the Bible says that they hated him even more. But this is a good example of how we need to be careful about jumping to conclusions before we have all of the facts. Because the big question you and I can answer at this point is, where did this dream come from? And the Bible says that he told them his dream. Is he gloating? Is he in his youthful pride saying, hey, look at me. I had a pretty interesting dream the other night. He dreamed that there were workers in the field and they were tying up this grain into sheaves and laying them on the ground. And all of a sudden, one of the sheaves rose up as if it became a, alive and stood upright and all of the other sheaves stood all around and bowed down to this one. And the brothers, who already are angry with him, who are already bitter with him, the brothers said to him, Are you telling us that you're going to reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? Because that's what they got out of the... Uh, out of the dream. Now you and I know better. You and I know the whole story. We know the rest of the story. We have the story clear to the end. We know that Jacob got, uh, Joseph got that dream 
And it was prophetic because God was going to prepare Joseph the rest of his life until he was going to be a leader in Egypt to save people from starvation. But the brothers didn't know that. They thought this, the, this, this uh, brother of theirs was, was kind of acting maybe a little bit proudful and arrogant. Didn't know the dream had actually come from the Lord. They had no idea. And so the Bible says they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers. Maybe at this point when he saw the anger and the bitterness, maybe he could have kept quiet on this one. But we do need it recorded in Scripture. We do need it recorded in Scripture because it's very important for us to understand that we are not by ourselves. God is the God of the universe. God is in control. And God is working out His plan and His purpose. And so the Bible says that he dreamed this other dream in verse 9. And he said to his brothers that I saw the sun and I saw the moon and I saw the 11 stars bow down to me. So he told it to his father and he told it to his brothers and his father rebuked him and said to him, Father now, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him. Their anger, their, their anger and their bitterness and their envy is just getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. But I see dad finally doing the right thing. The Bible says that dad heard the dream and he kept the matter in his mind. Don and I were sharing our dreams the other night. We hadn't been out for so long. We hadn't been to a restaurant in the evening. It just seems like forever. So we decided to go to a buffet, a local buffet. And uh, so we went to that local buffet, and we sat in there and ate and, and ate and ate and ate. <laughs> I, normally I would have had three plates, but I did not. I did not. I had two plates of food. And uh, Don had suggested that, and so we came home and went to bed. And I said to Don before I went to bed, I think I need to take my gout medicine tonight. <laughs> so I did. I did. And she woke up the next morning, and she said, she said uh, boy, I said, how did you sleep? And she said, I had a horrible dream last night. I had a dream that you woke up and you had gout everywhere. You had it in every, every joint and every, every, every place possible. He said, you were blown up like a balloon. And I said, that's funny. I said, because I had a dream last night and, and I was Superman. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm telling you the truth. I'm not making this up. I was leading a group of people along the river. I think it was a tour group, and we were going along the river, and uh, this group was uh, walking, and I was behind, and I had to run to get into the front of the line, which was a couple of miles up. And I'm running, and I'm, I'm, I'm running, and everybody's saying, but how's, how can that guy do that? So I said, I was Superman. And I only share, I know it's funny, but I, I only share this with you because this 
section of Scripture has lots of dreams in it. A lot of them. And you and I wouldn't look at these dreams and say, oh, that's the way God works. That's the way He, that's the way he uh, communicates with us. So I'm going to take all of my dreams seriously from now on. I'm just saying be very cautious about that because this is how he dealt with them back in that day, in this period of time, and um, as serious as it was for them, you and I need to be very cautious about that. And you'll see that because what happens next is that the brothers were out feeding their father's flock to make a long story short. Uh, Daddy came to Joseph and said, why don't you go find out how your brothers are doing? They're uh, several miles away. Uh, see how everything's are going, and, and, and Jacob and Joseph goes to try to find them. He can't find them, and then he talks to someone who knows where they went, and he catches up with them at a little place called Dothan in verse 17. But these boys, when they see their brother, have already hatched a plan as to what they're going to do with him. He's not home. He's away from home. You know, when you're away from home, you can do things that you couldn't do when you were home. You know? Uh, So, the plan was that in verse 18, now when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. And they said to one another, look at this dreamer coming here. Let's kill him, cast him into some pit. And then we'll go home and say some wild beast has devoured him. And you'll remember that one of the brothers, Reuben, who was a little bit more sensitive than the other ones, said, no, 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 let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in a pit instead. Well, they listened to Reuben. He was the oldest anyway. So let's not, let's not kill him. Let's not shed any blood. We'll put him in a pit. And then Reuben had the plan of coming back and rescuing him from the pit. But you'll know that when they executed this plan and they threw him in the pit, they sat down and they decided, they stripped Joseph of his tunic in verse 23 of many colors and they took him and cast him into the pit. And there they are sitting down to eat their meal in verse 25 and they lifted up their eyes and they saw a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead on their way to Egypt. And they're a, uh, they're a caravan with merchandise and And they get the bright idea that, listen, why don't we sell our brother to the Ishmaelites? And they did. And the Ishmaelites gave them 20 shekels of silver. I I wonder how they divided that, by the way. (laughs) But anyway, Joseph was taken to Egypt. Reuben, who wasn't there at the time, found that Joseph wasn't in the pit. And he was all upset about that, of course. So look at verse 31. So they took Joseph's tunic and they killed a kid of the goats and dipped the tunic in blood. And they went home, they sent the news, the tunic, and went home themselves confirming their story that we have found this tunic. Do you know if it's your son's tunic or not, they said to daddy. And daddy recognized it in verse 33 and he said, it is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him without doubt. Well, obviously that was not true. They didn't, he didn't know the whole story and, and all of that, but that's the impression that the boys want their daddy to think, that a wild beast has devoured Joseph and torn him to pieces, torn him to shreds, and this is what's left of his wonderful coat. 
And so daddy's really upset about that. And now the end of the story in verse 36 of chapter 37 is now the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and captain of the guard. Now, I don't want to go into 36. You're going to read, if you didn't read it already, you're going to read it. Uh, some read ahead, some read uh, when it comes. You're going to read it this week, and you're going to say, oh, my goodness, I can't believe what these boys are getting into. The march of the unqualified, for sure. Yeah, that's what you're going to see in, verse, in chapter 38. I, I, I won't even go into it, because I don't think it's a appropriate to do it if there's any kid here at all and so in verse 30 in chapter 39 the bible says now joseph had been taken down to egypt and potiphar an officer of pharaoh's captain of the guard an egyptian bought him from the ishmaelites and here's the first reference you have of the lord being with joseph in verse 2 and following the bible says that the lord was just joseph and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. These are great words. Here's Joseph. He's run into a lot of bad stuff. And the Bible says God's with him. Now, you know the rest of the story in chapter 39. You know that it came to pass in chapter 39 that in Pharaoh's house... Pharaoh's wife accuses him of inappropriate activity and actions. You know that. You know the whole story. And all I want to say to you is that the, the whole time that she is trying to get him into trouble, he is constantly saying to her, I can't do this. I can't do this. And in verse 21, I mean, in verse, uh, verse uh, not 21 first, but in verse 9, the Bible says that here's his response to her. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he, that is your husband, kept back anything from me, but you, because you are his wife. How then, now everybody, let's read this together. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against your husband. Does he say that? No. Now, he, he also has already told us that I'm concerned about the fact that your husband would be terribly upset by this. He says, but how can I do this great wickedness and what? Sin against God. Now, when I ask myself the simple questions, when I'm doing the daily Bible reading and I ask myself simple questions like this, I say, well, uh, Joseph's circumstances uh, are pretty bad, but he's responding well to those circumstances. Why is he able to respond so well? And I say, well, look at what he does. Look at what he says. Look at what he thinks. It's not because of the dreams that God has given to him. He isn't even aware of of how that's going to work out later on down the road. But look at the evidence of his relationship with God. Look at his response in this situation. Uh, I want to remind you that down the road, when, and, and when you read this, you're going to get the whole story, 
If you've never read it before, it's an exciting section of God's Word. Read it to the very end of Genesis. But when you read this story all the way to the end and you find yourself in Egypt with the brothers who are standing before Joseph, who is now in charge of the grain of Egypt, selling it to nations and people who need it desperately because of a regional famine. I want to remind you of chapter 42. Now keep your thumb in chapter 39 and look at chapter 42. Because Jacob had said to the boys when they're starving up in Canaan that they're to go down to Egypt and they're to buy grain. When they get down to Egypt, they don't know that Joseph's the governor over the whole land. He had been given that job because he was able to, he was able to interpret two dreams that Pharaoh had. And so Jason, the brothers are down there, and the Bible says that Joseph knows who they are, but they don't know who he is, and he kind of accuses them of being spies and all of this, and he's just given them a lot of hard, hard stuff to deal with, and they don't understand it. They don't understand it until Reuben says, when all of them got a, they're kind of huddled together and they're saying, why is all this happening to us? Why can't we just buy grain? Why do we have to be accused of being spies? Why do they want to put one of us in jail? Why, do they want to, why does he want to, to jerk our chain like this? You'll remember that Reuben answered them and said in verse 22 of chapter 42, and this is really critical, did I not speak to you saying, do not sin against the boy. Because they had come to the conclusion it must have been what we did to our brother years ago. And Reuben said, Did I not speak to you saying, Do not sin against the boy, and you would not listen to me? Now, notice the difference in those two statements. Here are the brothers who we don't have much information about their personal relationship with the Lord or their spiritual circumstances. We have a lot about Joseph. But the best the brothers could say is, I can't sin against, we shouldn't sin against the boy. Whereas Joseph takes it a step further and he says, no, it's not just that. He says, I, can't, we, I cannot sin against not only your husband, but I cannot sin against God. Do you see the difference there? Now, you've heard this before, and I know, I, I know, we've... We've talked about this because there are many other illustrations of this in Scripture, if you don't remember the illustration here of Joseph. But the important point is, do you remember when Jesus is in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 22, and he is being confronted by the Sadducees and the Pharisees and, the, and a lawyer, and finally nobody can trip him up in anything he says, and the lawyer looks at Jesus and he says, Jesus you know, let's brush aside all of this stuff that we're dealing with here. Just answer one simple question for me. I want to know what's the first and most important commandment. Do you remember that? Do you remember what Jesus' answer to him was? Jesus said, the most important commandment is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he said, the second is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, all, everybody agrees. 
Everybody agrees that what Jesus is doing is he's going all the way back to the Old Testament. He's going back to the Ten Commandments, which haven't even been written yet. He's going back to the Ten Commandments, and he's saying the first four commandments, you know, I'm, par- I'm, just, I'm just making it concise for you. The first four commandments are your relationship with the Lord. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt make no graven images. The second six are thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness and covet and stuff like that. Joseph is already, already thinking that way. You and I need to understand that the reason why he is so successful in his temptations, and it doesn't make any difference what it is, almost always we should ask the question right off the bat, what does God want me to do in a situation like this? Not what do I want to do or what do I think I should do? And when you're giving advice to somebody, by the way, don't say, what do you think you should do? (laughs) What does God want you to do? What does God want you to do? Listen, listen. Uh, Joseph could have been very angry with his brothers. He could have been very upset with his brothers. He could have been angry with them as they were with him. And the thing is, if his brothers would treat him nicely, he could say, I'm going to treat you nicely. If his brothers treated him bad, he could have said, I'm going to treat you bad. Um, And if you're in a relationship with someone, as long as the relationship is good, then you have no problem loving the person that you're in a relationship with. But but, But when the relationship goes sour and there are problems in that relationship, then you don't love anymore. You know, you say, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't love him anymore. I've written him off. Um, he's dead to me. Well, you wouldn't say that if you would say, you know what, I'm, uh, it's only sinning against this guy that's the issue. You would be saying, listen, this is a bigger and greater issue because all sin is an affront against God. He's the one who comes up with the rules. So how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? That's the conclusion he reaches. Now, I know this was really disjointed this morning, and it was because I'm watching that clock, and I'm not even halfway through. But we got to stop. we got to stop with that one lesson, and we'll deal with the other one another time. But uh, I, I, I want you to take your... Your, your pencil, and if you're taking notes, I want you to write down Genesis chapter 49, verses 23 and 24. And the reason why I want you to do that is because when we have an evaluation of Jacob at the end of this book, God gives Daddy a real opportunity to look at all of his sons and look at how they live their lives and then predict what the future is going to be for them. And he does the same thing with Joseph. He predicts the future for Joseph. And in Genesis chapter 49, you've written it down. I just want to bring it to your attention. In Genesis 49, when he predicts the future for his son Joseph, he begins with these two verses before he makes any prediction. And he says, he says in verse 23, the archers have bitterly grieved him. Using a word picture of people always attacking him, like his brothers. Shot at him and hated him. 
but his bow remained in strength and the arms of his hands were made strong by his own strength no by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob then read the rest of it read the rest of it because circumstances are not nearly as important as how we respond to them amen amen that's all the time we have to actually deal with that but I think you're getting, you got a good idea of what you're looking for in the daily Bible reading up to this point. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you are the God of the universe. We thank you, Lord, that we have you to look to, to depend upon. That, Father, you are interested in our lives. Father, that you may, uh, you may guide us through the wilderness. You may guide us through uh, difficulties, trying circumstances, and challenges of every sort. But, Father, you're looking to see how we're going to respond to all of that. And we pray in your precious name that we will be faithful to you to recognize that you are our strength and you are our help. In Jesus, your precious name we pray. Amen.